Have you ever wondered? Have have you ever have you ever questioned? Have have you ever have you ever caught yourself really really questioning things? Have you ever caught yourself in a moment where you're being tested, maybe being tempted, and you catch yourself doubting? Have you ever been in that spot where you where your t- faith is really tested? And you just fail. For all we know, he may have been the most loyal, the most fiercely dependable of all the apostles. We know that in John chapter 11, before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead... Jesus and his apostles aren't aren't near the area where Lazarus is. And he says it's time for them to go back that way. And the other apostles say, no, we can't go back there. People want to kill you there. And it's Thomas who steps up and in verse 16 says, if you're going to go back to Jerusalem, we're going to go with you. And if, 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 if you're going to die, let us die with you. Fiercely loyal. It may have been that Thomas was the best listener. Because we also know in John chapter 14, when Jesus is telling his apostles that he's about to go, that he's going to leave to go to a place to prepare a place for them. And that they'll they'll follow after him. It's Thomas. In verse 5 says, wait wait a minute. We, We don't know where you're going. We don't, we don't, how are we supposed to know the way to where you're going? Maybe the other apostles wanted to ask that question, but nobody did. But it seems like Thomas was willing to say, wait a minute, we, we need some clarification here, which leads to the great statement that Jesus makes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Scripture supports the idea that Thomas was, was at least as dependable, as loyal, and as trustworthy as any of the other apostles. But the full scope of Thomas's contributions, the, the full impact of what Thomas meant as an apostle, we all know, What, whatever Thomas was, we, we all know it's overshadowed by one moment of doubt. One moment where Scripture records, Thomas says, I just, I just don't know. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4 writes some interesting words. We think about Thomas and we think about that moment. And I'll tell you the truth. 
we need to be ready for that moment for ourselves. We need to be ready for our doubt. We need to be ready for those moments that we are going to question. We need, we need to prepare. Well, we need to accept the fact that we're going to struggle sometimes. But we need to prepare ourselves even for those times that we're going to fail. Because we're going to fail. We need to be ready for those moments. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to borrow Paul's words simply for the title of this, of this lesson. We're not going to come back to this passage. But I think it's interesting as Paul is describing his struggles, the things that he's dealing with physically and emotionally, and it seems a little bit spiritually. In chapter 4, verse 8, he says these words. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Paul says that he and his fellow apostles, those who are working with him, those who are, are doing so much great work in establishing churches and fortifying churches, he says sometimes we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Perplexed, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, means to be without resources, to be left wanting, to be in doubt, to not know which way to turn. Have you been there? If you haven't, you will be there. Sometimes we're perplexed. Sometimes we just don't get what's going on. Sometimes we wonder within ourselves, where, where's God in all of this? How am I going to get through this? And sometimes we'll slip and sometimes we'll doubt. So this morning I want to look at this moment in Thomas's life. And, and what I want us to do is, is, is look at this moment of doubt. And, and I want us, to, I want us to, to be real about how one bad moment can freeze an individual in time. But then I want us to also look at what do we do about that? What do we do when we have those moments of doubt? And then finally, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll establish where we go from there. So first, if you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 20. This is where we'll spend a little bit of time because this is where we find the majority of our information about this apostle. He's mentioned one time in each of the other Gospels simply in the list of the apostles. It's John who gives us a little bit more detail into the story of Thomas's life. As we know from what Perry just read for us, we know from John chapter 20 that the first time Jesus appeared to his, to his apostles, Thomas wasn't there. He, he didn't make it for whatever reason. He just wasn't there. And the other apostles try and tell him, say, listen, man, we, we saw Jesus. He appeared to us. It, it was him. It was was after the resurrection, we, we know, and, and Thomas, you know, Thomas has to be thinking, I saw him die. We know he's dead. I saw them put him, put him in that tomb. 
And the other apostles say, no, we, 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 we saw him. We know we saw him. And now, let's, let's be real about this. Thomas questions that. And we have to kind of cut him some slack here. He, in fact, he flat out rejects their story. Look what it says in, in verse 25. <clears throat> but he said to them, if I don't see the marks of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the marks of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will do what? I will never believe. He says, if I don't actually touch this guy, if I don't actually experience with my hands what you guys are telling me, I will never believe this. He's emphatic about this. What, what's he doing? He's doubting. He's doubting what they said. Bigger picture, though, he's doubting what Jesus has said. Because Jesus has told them this, was hap this would happen. And we understand that some of the other apostles obviously didn't get the whole story either. But Thomas here says no. I know what happened to him. I know where he is. And I will not believe this. But then we know a week later. A week later, Thomas was there. Now, this is in that, you put this in that category of the FOMO. This is, he's not going to miss it this time. I, I imagine he was with those guys from that moment forward for the next few days. I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss out on this one. So he's right there with them. And this time Jesus appears. But what's incredible about this situation is Jesus doesn't just appear. He intentionally presents himself to Thomas. Tells us that Jesus knows where Thomas is in all of this. He presents himself to Thomas and says, come check. Come see for yourself. But look at what Jesus says. Verse 27. He said to Thomas. Put your finger here. And look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless. But believe. Now let's pause for a minute here. Let's rewind. This is the guy who just earlier has said, let's go back to Jerusalem. Let's go back to Judea with him. And if he dies, we'll die with him. And Jesus knows that. This is the guy who, who asks the question of, say, we want, we're not sure exactly where you're going, but we want to go there. Just tell us how to get there. This is the guy who's been loyal, who's been trustworthy. And Jesus says, don't be faithless. I imagine that had to hurt a little bit. For Thomas to hear Jesus use his own words to say, I know you had to put your you wanted to put your fingers in here, you wanted to touch this for yourself, go for it. Don't be faithless, but believe. But there are a few scenes in Scripture that I think are as touching as what happens next. This is where we see that wonderful love of Jesus that we just sang about. Because what Jesus does not do is berate him for doubting. Jesus doesn't ridicule his doubt. Jesus doesn't make fun of him in front of his peers. 
He doesn't tell him how, how, how terrible he is for having doubts. He doesn't tell him what a bad person he is. He doesn't take his apostle card from him or any of that. What does Jesus do? Jesus provides for Thomas the evidence that he needs to believe. He says, Thomas, this is basically what he says. In essence, he says, if you putting your fingers into these nail wounds will fortify your faith, put your fingers in. If you need to put your hands into my pierced side, if that's what you need to strengthen your faith, because I have work for you to do, Thomas. If that's what you need, do it. Because it was that important. Jesus provides him the opportunity to fix the situation. And you know what Scripture doesn't say Thomas does? Touch him at all. Because the next verse, Thomas makes this great declaration where he just simply says, My Lord and my God. He says, I understand who you are now. He didn't have to touch, according to Scripture. He didn't have to reach his hand. He just, he realized who Jesus was in that moment. He claims Jesus for who Jesus is. It's an incredible scene. And I, I, I wish, I wish from here I could say, well, let's turn over to Acts chapter 4 and let's look at the rest of Thomas's career. Or let's look at Acts chapter 12 where he does this or Acts chapter 16 or whatever. But we can't. Because except for an appearance in Acts chapter 1 with everybody else again, this is where Thomas's story ends. I wish we could follow up and see what great things he does in Scripture. But we can't. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from this scene of doubt and reassurance? Where do we go in Thomas's life? Well, I want us to look now, and I want to use another life story, but I want us to look at the aftermath of one, one bad moment. It was 1986. World Series, the Boston Red Sox were playing the New York Mets. The Red Sox were trying to erase 67 years of not winning a title. Under the curse of the Bambino, the story was when Babe Ruth left the Red Sox, they'd never win a title ever again. So far, they were, they were doing pretty well, keeping that story alive. But on that night, the Red Sox... The game, was, the game was at 5-3 to three going into the bottom of the 10th inning. They'd gone into extra innings. And it was getting to the point where this was in Shea Stadium, so it was in New York, but even the, the fans were starting to feel the tension that Red Sox might win this, and finally they might have their title. The Mets then tied it 5-5 with two outs and a man on second base and Mookie Wilson came up to bat for the Mets. Playing first base for the, Red, for the Red Sox was a guy named Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner, in fact, lived, 
the later days of his life right here in Boise. Died in Boise in 2009. But Bugner was an all-star in 81, won the National League batting title in 1980, had 2,715 hits, 174 home runs in a 22-year career. He was a ball player. He had more than 10,000 plate appearances. I'm having to read all these stats to you. Struck out just 4.5% of the time. Nine times he was first or second in the, in, in the majors in strikeout percentage. Only one player in history has a lower strikeout percentage, and that's Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn. Bill Buckner was a play-hurt kind of guy. He had a severe ankle injury in, in the 75 season and never really quite got over that, but played hurt. In fact, <clears throat> writer, sports writer for the New York Times, Dick Young, called him one of the gutsiest players around. He sprains an ankle, takes an aspirin, and steals a base. But that injury moved him from the outfield, where he was a good outfielder. Moved him to first, first base. He played 1,500 games as an outfielder. Or no, he played 600 games as an outfielder and 1,500 games at first base. And that's where he was early, early, early in the morning of October 26, 1986, playing first base for the Boston Red Sox. And the game's tied. Mets have a runner on second. Mookie Wilson comes up and hits a little grounder down the first baseline. And it goes through Buckner's legs, allowing the guy on second to score. The Mets win the game, go on to win game seven, and the curse of the Bambino lives on. By the way, in game seven, Buckner was two for four with no strikeouts and no errors. But he was booed the next season so severely, harassed so severely in Boston, he has to be traded. Said that those are some of the worst days, darkest moments of his life. If you know anything about Boston sports fans, you'll understand that. They can be a little bit vicious. But he left Boston and was hated I mean, death threats for one error. My Lord and my God. The last recorded words from Thomas. Doesn't have to do with this artist rendering shows. This is, I, I, I show this because this is not scriptural. We don't see him do that. He says, my Lord and my God. And again, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he's in the upper room on Pentecost. He's there with the apostles when, they, when, when Peter leads, it seems like, and preaches that great sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 are baptized. You know Thomas had to be a part of that. But how is he remembered? Doubting Thomas. Not... Questioning Thomas, not a little bit shaken Thomas, not even faithful Thomas, but doubting Thomas. 
It's, become, it's, it's part of our vernacular. It's, it's a phrase we use. Because of one moment. And we forget this. We forget the fact that he said, my Lord and my God. Instead, his name becomes a part of speech. I'm going to leave you hanging right there with Thomas then. And I want us to talk about doubt for just a couple of minutes. We don't, we don't know what, how Thomas processed this exactly. But I want us to take two main lessons from his life as we put all this together here. Number one is we all are going to deal with doubt. Maybe not in the exact, I mean, certainly not in the exact same way Thomas did. But we're all going to deal with questions. We're all going to deal with wondering. We're all going to wonder, is that okay? Am I okay to do this? Well, Psalm 10. The very first verses of Psalm 10 says, God, why are you so far away? Psalm 74, first verses of that psalm. It says, why have you rejected us forever, God? Why does your anger burn against the sheep of your pasture? Psalm 77, verses 7 and 8. Will the Lord reject forever and never show favor again? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he held anger with, has, has in his anger, has he withheld his compassion? I want you to see with just those few examples, that the idea of questions and doubt, that theme is interwoven all through Scripture. People question. People doubt. See, doubt isn't isn't the opposite of faith. Doubt isn't... Having doubt, it doesn't mean you don't have faith. Sometimes, in fact, doubt can just be a pit stop on the way to stronger, greater faith. But see, no no matter where you are on the confidence scale in, in your faith, life will come at you in a way at some point that will shake the foundations of your faith. And it, it, it'll make you question, it'll make you wonder. See, doubt doubt's something we all experience because life teaches us to doubt. People around us let us down. People around us hurt us. People around us cause us to mistrust them. And, and then, and then we, we project that mistrust onto God. And that's natural. We wonder, is God really going to see us through this? Is God really going to be there for us? Is God really... Is God really there? Is it okay to doubt? I'm going to tell you the the, the simple answer is yes. It is okay to doubt. God doesn't mind if you doubt. God knows who he is. God's confident in who he is. But see, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt doesn't equal unbelief. Just because you doubt doesn't mean you don't believe. Just because you wrestle with doubt 
doesn't mean you're walking away from your belief. See, the person who doubts wants to believe, or ideally, and we'll deal with that in a minute, ideally that person wants to believe. Doubt's a problem of, of the intellect. Unbelief is a problem of the heart. So they're not the same, but doubt can become unbelief. So what do we do about that? How, how can doubt help us? One thing, that we, one thing that we can be sure of is that doubt can strengthen our faith. Doubt can be the, the impetus, can be the motivator that really develops our faith. Because sometimes when we doubt, what we're doing is we're getting to the point where we understand and where we're openly admitting that we don't have all the answers. I don't know about this, God. I don't know why this happened. And then we turn to God and let him answer. We know from Matthew chapter 7, we know Jesus himself says, ask, seek, knock. We're told to ask of God. And in that context, I think it's asking God for, for his blessings, asking God for forgiveness and all. But I think it also implies that we can ask God for answers. Because he's not afraid to answer our questions. He's not afraid of our doubt. He's not afraid of our wondering. When you get to the point that you're unsure, ask those questions. Be willing to ask and to seek and to knock and to let God answer those questions. But the thing is, is what, what, we, happen, what we see happen way too often is people who say, I'm struggling with my faith. That's why I'm not coming to church anymore. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I'm struggling. Well, no, you're not. You're quitting. God says, if you want to struggle with your faith, struggle. Ask those questions. If, if, if you doubt me, come check. Come find it. Just like Jesus says, put your hand in my side. If you doubt, look for answers. Don't quit. Don't quit. That's not the same as struggling. God's not afraid of our questions. If you look for answers, you'll find them. They're in his word. He, he promises that. He says, come and look and I'll give you the answers. And he, he may give you answers. The, the answers are in his word. He may give you those answers in a different way. One way that, that, that we want to help. One, way, one thing that we're going to do to help people answer some questions is our lectureship coming up in October. Some of the questions, some of the hardest questions people have about their faith and about doubts, we're going to deal with. What about evil, pain, and suffering? Where's God in all that? What about slavery? What about this? What about, what about all those things that, 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 that we question? Well, we're going to have 22 lessons where we're going to have some really great guys give us some really great answers about creation, about God's word. If you have doubts, come get answers. God's not afraid to be questioned. Another thing about faith, or another thing about doubt, is that a growing faith can help us overcome doubt. Now that almost seems kind of convoluted there, but hear me out. When we choose to believe, 
we can overcome doubt. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord, but what he has revealed is for all of us. That is so true. There are some things we're just not going to get. There are some things we're just not going to understand. And it's in those moments where we have to say, God, I trust you. Because of everything else I've seen you do. Because of everything else I've read in Scripture, I've experienced in my life, I don't get this. But I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to put my faith. And I'm going to let you carry me through this. Sometimes we have to just believe that God is good. And that God has good intentions for us. And sometimes we have to decide that over and over and over again. But one other thing about this, about doubts and faith. We also have to be, we have to acknowledge the fact that our Christian community can help us strengthen our faith can help us deal with our doubts. We've heard this so many times, but Hebrews 10, 25, 23 through 25 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. That verse gives us a strategy for dealing with everything in our life, including our doubts. He says, number one, hold on. Hold on to that faith. Hold on to that confession that Jesus is Lord, that God is sovereign, that God is in charge. Hold on to that. And encourage each other with those words. And how do you do that? By being with each other. Encourage each other. Support each other. And, and the way we do that is we're honest with each other. And we say, I have doubts too sometimes. I struggle with that too sometimes. So let's lock arms and get through this together. Because God is faithful and let's hold to that. And God will help us through Even those doubts. Having a group of people that you can join with, a group of people that you can, that you can count on, that you can rely on. And it's, it, it's this, yes. But it's even more so in, in smaller ways. That's, that's, why, that's why we do care groups. Our, our, our care groups are a way for people to connect in a little smaller way. Our care groups are going to change some in the next few months. But let me encourage you to find a way to connect with your care group. Instead of trying to connect with 300 people, connect with 15. Have people that, you can, that can help you hold on when you're in those bad moments. That's, that's why we do things like a ladies' retreat. So ladies can get together. And if we're honest with, with each other, say, I struggle with this. Do you struggle with that? Yes, let's get through this together. Our men's retreats, the same thing. We have burdens we bear. Let's bear them together. 
Hold fast to that confession. Encourage each other by being together. That's how we deal. That's how we deal with our, our struggles. That's how we deal with our doubts. Is we realize the best news of all. We realize that God understands our doubts. That God, just like we see Jesus, God isn't berating us for our doubts. God isn't, God isn't irritated with us for our failures. God is offering us a hand up and saying, let me be the one who helps you out of this. Let me be the one who answers your questions. And you may find out that you'll come out of your season of doubt stronger and able to help somebody else with theirs if you take God's hand and allow him to help you out of that. So last thing, I want to leave you with this. Don't let, don't let those moments define you. Don't, don't let those bad moments define you. Mookie Wilson, the guy who hit that little grounder that Bill Buckner missed, said these words. He said, we developed a friendship that lasted well over 30 years. I felt badly for some of the things he went through. Bill was a great, great baseball player whose legacy should not be defined by one play. This picture is in 2008. Buckner was invited back to throw out the first pitch at the game that the Red Sox hung their world championship banner from 2007. The crowd reports that the ovation was louder for Buckner than it was for the banner that was hung. That's his reaction. Sports stories. I'm the worst. At least it's not Michael Jordan. <laughs> but Bugner moved to the Boise area in 1993. He owned car dealerships around Boise. He was a big supporter of BSU athletics, was a season ticket holder to BSU football, was often also seen at basketball games. Came very well respected in his community. In his 22-year career in baseball, he batted 289, like I said, 2,715 hits, drove in 1,208 runs, scored 1,077 runs, hit 174 home runs, had 183 stolen bases, played for the Red Sox, Cubs, Dodgers, Royals, and Angels. New York Times baseball writer Tyler Kepner wrote on Buckner's last day, full day of life, on the, last, on the day he died, 16 Major League Baseball players struck out at least three times that day. Bill Buckner never did that once. During his career, he never struck out more than 40 times in a season. USA Today's baseball writer, a guy named Bob Nightingale, said, the former Major League Baseball All-Star epitomized class and should forever be a role model in handling adversity because he didn't let one ground ball define who he was. 
I told you, I wish I could tell you. I wish we could go through Scripture and look at more stories of Thomas. But what we do know from history is that Thomas was a very impactful apostle. History tells us that he went east into Persia and then went as far east and south as India, planting churches. There are churches today still. This is, this is artwork from a church in India that Thomas helped establish. He continued the work that he started. Serving the Lord, he once doubted. Eventually he would die for that same Lord. And history tells us that he was pierced by a spear in his side. But he was killed by a king in a small country, a small region of southern India, because he wouldn't renounce his faith. To not even the threat of death would turn him away from his Lord and his God. That's how we should remember Thomas. As a man who doubted, yes. As a man who questioned, yes. But as a man who, when confronted with those doubts and got his questions answered, got right back on track and said, my Lord and my God, and served. I don't know how Thomas dealt with his doubt. I don't know what he did. But we can tell that he recovered. Those of us who doubt, can get past those bad moments. We, we, we can get past those times where we doubt. Again, it, it's, it's the struggle. Come out of that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not, saying, I'm not trying to be blasé about your struggles or your doubts. But you can come out of it with the help of your Lord and your God. We sing this morning also that Jesus' invitation just to follow me. Isn't that what he told Thomas? Here, here's your doubts. If, if you need anything to fix them, fix them. But then follow me. The great thing about Jesus is that if we'll come to him and not be faithless, but instead be believing, he'll be there for us. He'll, he'll, he'll let us come back. He'll let us doubt. He'll let us struggle. But he'll answer those questions and then bring us right back in the fold and right back to work. No matter what. No matter what you've done. No matter who you are. No matter how bad you think you've, you've done something. No matter how negative you feel about yourself. Jesus always has that invitation. Just look. Touch me if you need to. But figure it out. And know that I'm there for you. I started this lesson by, by, by taking one of Paul's verses out of context. So let's close doing the same way. But I think one of the greatest passages that I believe really applies to what we see with Thomas is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 beginning in verse 12. And again, I believe this is some of the most comforting, inspirational, some of the most comforting, inspirational words that we can find. 
when we're dealing with our struggles. Look what, look what he says. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I press on. I press on. You're going to doubt. You're going to question. You're going to fail. You're going to be angry at God. You're going to, you're going to question God, just like those, those Psalms that we read. Where are you? Why did you allow this? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever really, really questioned? God says, feel free. Feel free. But the question is, are you going to leave it there? God doesn't mind your questions. God doesn't mind your doubts. God doesn't mind your struggles. God cares. That's 1 Peter 5, 7, right? He says, cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. He wants to know those. And God's not going to berate you for your doubts. God's not going to ridicule you for your struggles. In fact, he is the one who will rescue you. As we sing, Jesus says, just follow me. Follow me out of your doubt. Follow me out of your struggle. Follow me to the answer of your questions. And Jesus will rescue you. Jesus extends that offer today. That offer to follow me from wherever you are, from whatever you've done. He says, follow me. We offer the same invitation. It's not ours, it's his. We're going to stand and sing a song. And if, if, if you need us to pray with you for whatever reason, come sit up here and we'll, we'll pray together. If you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with insecurity, if questions, let's, let's talk about it. We've got to do that together. If you're ready to be in that relationship with Jesus where you have that availability, where you have that assurance that God can answer your questions, God will see you. It's not going to be easy doesn't mean all your doubts and questions are going to go away. It's just you're going to have an answer for them. If you're ready to put Christ on in baptism and begin that walk, let's do that this morning. God extends the hand of rescue. Whatever you need, let us know while we stand together and sing.